0: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Deadhead Cannabis Show. I'm Larry Michigan of Michigan Law in Chicago. I will very soon be joined by my co-host Rob Hunt of Linay Holdings out in San Diego. Uh, Rob's cleaning up some matters and then hopping on with us in a moment or two and he does not want to miss this show and neither do you guys because not only will we have a lot of fun Grateful Dead to play for you today but Today's one of those days when we really get a guest that uh, makes us very, very excited. It's not just somebody in the marijuana industry. It's not just somebody who knows about the marijuana industry. Our guest today is Mason Tavert, and he's been intimately involved in uh, medical and legal cannabis and the movements to take it out into the open where we enjoy it today. Uh, He's written books on the subject. He consults on the subject, and we will be diving in uh, with Mason shortly as well. Uh, but before we do that, uh, on the Grateful Dead side today, we are going to take note of the fact that, um, well, just a couple of days ago, I guess, uh, was Bob Weir's 75th birthday. That is a milestone birthday. In my family, they say that birthdays ending in zero and five are milestones. So this certainly qualifies. And as Bob moves up through the 70s in age, it's it's hard, uh, you know, to imagine that when I started seeing the shows back in 82, he was still, you know, what, maybe in his 30s and Maybe early 30s and running around with his Izod shirt on and his shorts and whooping and hollering and you know he was the he was the fun kid in the group and and now even he's getting older and uh, uh, but we've talked about Bobby recently when he was here in uh, Chicago last March and uh, we've talked about what's happening with Dead and Co. Um, but you know 75th birthday demands that we give Bobby a, a day of his own and so we will and we are going to start off with an intro. These are all going to be. Uh, snippets of songs from various Bobby birthday shows throughout the years with an October birthday Uh, his birthday always fell right in the middle typically of the East Coast uh, fall tour and so uh, we'll be hearing a whole bunch of great stuff but Dan if you can roll uh, today's initial clip uh, 1974 from Winterland that would be awesome Happy birthday to you Happy birthday to you Happy birthday, dear mommy. Happy birthday to you. Yeah, so the dead know how to say happy birthday as well as anyone, and especially to one of their own. And uh, that's the boys' goofing it up with Bobby a little bit, and uh, we will move on to some of his songs in a few minutes. But what I want to do is uh, dive right in with our guest today because uh, we're lucky to have a guy like Mason on the show with us for him to give us some of his time. Uh, Very excited to hear what he has to say about a lot of recent goings on in the world of uh, legal cannabis. And, uh, you know, maybe just a quick uh, kind of background on, you know, how we got to where we are today. Um, For those of you who don't know Mason Tavert and have any interest in cannabis, go learn about him right now please and the best way to do it is going out and buying a copy of his book that is the copy of a book that i take everywhere with me anytime i travel because it answers any question that anyone will ever ask you about marijuana and it's called marijuana is safer so why are we driving people to drink uh and mason wrote this with paul armentano and steve fox and in the cannabis world at least it's a bestseller and a must read uh, he is a partner in VS Strategies, one of the top consulting groups around. And he has a taste for jam band music as well. So we are very excited to welcome to our show today, Mason Tavert. Mason, thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me, Larry. I appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. So uh, I guess let's give everybody, you know, a few minutes of background on you. Um, where are you from? What are you doing? How was it that you dove so hard into cannabis? I am
1: originally from Arizona. My parents are from, from Ohio,
0: but they moved to Arizona, and uh, I was born
1: there, grew up there, and uh, immediately left there once I could when I graduated high school and went to college out in Virginia where I was uh, harassed or investigated, if you will, uh, by uh, law enforcement for my suspected cannabis-related activities, uh, which scared the shit out of me, but you know, I, was, I was subpoenaed by a multi-jurisdictional drug Task force and grand jury, based on the notion that I used or knew people who sold marijuana, and uh, you know, fortunately, uh, it did not result in anything coming from it. They were just kind of shaking kids down, uh, but it really pissed me off. And you know, I was already, you know, intrigued by cannabis and cannabis law and policy, and and you know, probably more more interested in it than most typical students, but I had never really been active or an activist in college and whatnot. But you know, that, that kind of made me interested. And, and when I started looking for jobs, I started, you know, I was looking at, at drug policy, cannabis policy reform, and was very fortunate to get, to get a job, a uh, temporary job with the Marijuana Policy Project doing campaign work. And I was hired by a gentleman named Steve Fox, who I co-wrote the book with, uh, but he hired me. And uh, from there, you know, things just snowballed. You know, we, I decided to move out to Colorado and start an organization called SAFER and work towards legalization. And
0: the rest is history. Well, it, well, the rest is history, but it's a good history, and let's talk about uh, that effort that you guys undertook in Colorado uh, to really move the ball forward and, 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 and get all the momentum going that is now resulting in states all over the country adopting marijuana laws.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, essentially I, I wrapped up these campaigns. I was working just harassing members of Congress who were voting against medical marijuana amendments, and uh, that ended with the 2004 election, and, you know, was talking to, to Steve, and he had had this idea for just a new strategy for approaching cannabis policy reform to, you know, rather than just highlighting the problems with prohibition, like activists had been for years and, and really had kind of hit a rut and weren't moving forward. It was about talking about why it's okay for adults to use cannabis and the fact that it's safer than alcohol and that it's bad policy to punish adults who would prefer to make the safer choice. We were trying to figure out where to do it, looking at you know, Colorado. Looking at Wisconsin, we were really thinking about starting with a college campus scene because obviously, alcohol, cannabis are pretty big in that that area. Fortunately, thank God, we we settled on Colorado. Uh, no offense to uh, you know the Midwestern folks on the line, but yeah, we 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 started. We the first thing we did was organize students at two universities where there had been alcohol overdose deaths, and really just run run student ballot measures that said the students don't think the punishment for marijuana should be any greater than it is for alcohol, and the goal was just to get attention and to get media coverage, to get this message out. And it was successful, which led to, you know, we, we decided to expand that and run a city initiative in Denver and somehow managed to win, uh, making it the first city in the world that had voted to remove all penalties for adult marijuana possession. And it just kept going. You know, we, we ran a statewide initiative that that didn't lose. But again, it was really just an earned media effort. Uh, but the whole time, we're just building up towards, you know, we need to sow the, you know fertile the ground for for a future legalization effort you know we can't you can't just go in there and ask people to legalize marijuana when they all think it's as dangerous as 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 heroin you know and so we spent uh several years really just educating voters about the fact that marijuana is not as dangerous as they thought and uh ultimately in a 2012 10 years ago we just celebrated the 10th anniversary uh we ran an initiative called amendment 64 that legalized uh, and regulated marijuana for adult use
0: that's fantastic um before we move on i do want to note that we are now joined in fact by rob hunt uh my partner from uh the warmer part of the world rob how are you doing today and welcome to the show
2: i'm great it's great to be here and it's great to see mason on the show so mason welcome and thanks for uh, for joining us for uh, for a little bit here today excited to, to get into the conversation guys
0: absolutely um we were just talking a little bit about background uh how mason got to where he is uh Uh, getting legalization going in Colorado and you know I guess that kind of leads to the much bigger question now Mason and uh, you know everybody everybody wants to know and everybody has an opinion on when we're things going to see things move on the federal level the question I have for you is we all saw uh, the announcement that came down last week from President Biden um, and his uh, decision to uh, expunge a number of convictions for people who had been granted for lower level federal marijuana offenses And of course, we were talking to some people that day and the price of all the marijuana stocks shot right up through the roof. And my question for you is not so much financial, but more along the lines of, is this really the beginning of the change in your opinion? Or uh, is this just something that has some political expediency for Biden and the big battle is still yet to be fought?
1: You know, the question of when will cannabis be legal federal is uh, one that like reporters have been asking me for the last 17 years. And it's one that I've never answered directly. So I'm not about to start. Uh, you know, the problem with federal law is that it's so complex. You know, these, these federal cannabis policy is, you know, such a tangled mess. You know, it's not as clean as, as, as alcohol prohibition was. It was a constitutional amendment. You repeal the amendment, uh, leave it to states and, and create some federal laws. In this case, it was, you know, with drug scheduling and, and so on. There's just so much to it. Unfortunately, it's not the case that federal law changes the second you reach a majority of co- members of Congress that support it. If that were the case, we'd be pretty close. The problem is that this has not been a high priority issue for for a lot of federal officials for a long time. Uh, COVID, healthcare, immigration, I mean, the list goes on. And so it's really difficult to say when this will happen because there's just so many variables. I mean, it might be the case that you have overwhelming support, but one committee leader who won't allow a vote. I mean, it, so many things can go off. With regard to Biden, I, I really can't overstate the importance of this. It, it really directly applies to approximately 6,500 people, at the, you know, with regards to federal charges, and and then everyone in D.C. for a number of years that had uh, uh, possession charges. But it's really, in addition to that, it's you know also the directive uh, of looking at rescheduling. But to me, you know, being a communications guy, the most important thing here is that the most powerful uh, elected leader in the world has held a press conference to say we were wrong to punish adults for using marijuana. And that is a huge statement. Whether he was doing it for political expediency or whether he was doing it because he genuinely feels that way, I don't really care. He did the right thing, and that's what matters. And it sends a huge message. I mean, the U.S. has really dictated cannabis policy around the world for a long time. So a president coming out and saying that is a huge message to elected officials, not only in our country, but other countries. And, you know, there's still a lot of Democrats who are, you know, people were saying, well, is this gonna, you know, is this just to help Democrats win in November? Quite frankly, I think this has more of a chance of hurting Democrats in November because there are a lot of Democrats out there dragging ass on cannabis policy and they're gonna have to explain why they have a different opinion than their party leader. So, you know, but again, it's, it's, it's hugely important, and it is a sign that things are going to move. Uh, again, federal law, federal government just moves so slowly, and so it's hard to say how long it will be.
2: Yeah, I mean, I know that we've, uh, we've asked this question a thousand different ways from a thousand different people, and, you know, we love getting people that really understand policy uh, the way you do and the way the, uh, the VS Strategies team does. And as you know, we've had Jordan Wellington on here before to discuss some of these things. Uh, I don't disagree with anything you just said. I mean, from, from the perspective of you know, how does this look from an optics perspective, we've been very vocal on this show to talk about that. It's, it's guys like Cory Booker and it's um, others that, that have been seeking more sweeping and broader reforms that you know, can't necessarily make it through uh, the Senate on a standalone bill basis. So you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer in, in incremental change. I mean, I think you proved that in Colorado. You were very successful and saying, OK, let's start off with you know, putting a lawn chair in front of the Capitol saying cannabis is safer. And then uh, changing hearts and minds for a period of time to, to get the first piece of legislation through and then get 1284 through, then get Amendment 64 through and all the other uh, history of, of how Colorado progressed to, to being the kind of the bellwether in, in American cannabis. I think right now, if we can get safe through and get it through either as a, um, a standalone bill or get it through on a um, tacked on as a rider to, let's say, the defense authorization bill, even that is incremental change. I mean, what Biden said last week is great. Let's get the next step and let's not go for an all or nothing approach because that all or nothing approach is doomed to fail. And we all know that anyone that knows policy well knows that. So, uh, you know, if Biden's willing to get out there in front of a lectern and say that we made mistakes on this thing and, and the first step is let's at least expunge or let's at least, you know, release um, people that were formerly considered to be criminals in favor now of, uh, of changing policy and say, OK, well, we can't even think about uh, legalization until we think about no longer criminalizing those same people. You know, that's a great incremental step. And, you know, sure, let's look at the share prices going up and then, you know, shaving off again right afterwards. But that's not like the, the public markets isn't doesn't dictate, you know, how the, uh, the major change happens. The major change happens, I think, where, you know, we've seen incremental change on a statewide basis. We're going to see six more states go to adult use this coming November. Uh, very likely we're going to see, you know, lots of uh, municipal change, lots of statewide expansion. Those are the things I think ultimately create you know some sort of tipping point, and I don't think we're anywhere close to there yet. And I'm not going to give a date either any more than you would, Mason. But incremental change I think is still is very important. I think that there's a lot of Dems that you know came out very vocally in favor of you know broad change that probably need to back off on that now and say we can let's let's get what we can before we see a change in the composition either the Senate or the House.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I absolutely agree. You know, obviously, there's always going to be political infighting that takes place in any movement any advocacy movement and and we're seeing that when it comes to you know folks who who are supportive of incremental change versus those who you know i think have very good reason uh you know i personally do support the incremental approach but there are folks especially marginalized communities people who haven't had their voices heard who you know it's understandable that they would take the position of like hey you know we need to make sure all this gets done at once because we don't trust that they'll come back and and do these other things and i personally don't think that's the case but i do understand that that belief and my hope is that you know yeah we do see these changes and that they do result you know those folks come around i think we are starting to see that with safe you know the safe banking act there are people who think well it's just going to help cannabis businesses it's just for you know financial services for for legal marijuana businesses it's really not gonna you know make wide broad sweeping changes but while it will do those things and help 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 the businesses you really got to look at it as like what has the federal government ever done to proactively ease the ability of businesses to produce and sell marijuana you know it's like that. that's why like with the with the biden thing all simply saying that oh we shouldn't have, have, have arrested people or convicted people of a crime it seems like well it's kind of a minimal thing but when you consider the fact that this government you know f- would not do anything other than demonize this and, and criminalize it and add penalties for decades and decades and decades and then we finally on to say okay we won't interfere in those states that have done this. I mean, that's a pretty minimal thing, but it's important. And then to say, okay, we shouldn't have punished these people, then to say, okay, if you're selling marijuana in mass quantities to the public, we'll ensure that you can have bangers. I mean, that's a that's a pretty big step when you, you know, really think about it compared to the decades of, of policy that comes before it.
0: Well, I think that's true, and you know, it, it's 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 probably worth noting. We're we're basically coming up on the ten year anniversary of uh, your efforts, to, uh, right, to really move things forward in, in Colorado. And, and, and as we sit here now, and we try to guess what's going to happen in the future, it feels very much like the conversations we were having ten years ago when we were you know trying to imagine where we would be today. And I know I, I wasn't convinced that we would you know the the industry would be as far along as it is. this point today and and i think it's fantastic but you know to you what do you what do you see is the when you think about where we've gone from 10 years ago to today uh how far we've moved and and what does that make you think about where we're going 10 years from now
1: oh yeah you know it's one of those things it's kind of like when when we were working in colorado and people said you know when we when we won in 2012 with amendment 64 they said did you think this would happen this quickly or did you you know i never really thought about it i just like you know We were working on it. We were slowly passing local laws. We were slowly building public support, getting more uh, coalition members, getting more endorsements. It was just like this—you know—it was a relatively short period of time. You know, about seven years that we were working on it. But um, it was just so—yeah, it—it wasn't surprising when we won. But I wouldn't—I also wouldn't have like bet my mortgage that I was gonna, you know, that we were gonna win. And so now, you know, ten years later, it's like—is it surprising where we're at? No, I don't think I could have guessed that on certain things where we'd be, um, but I'm not particularly surprised because what I've found is that, you know, the more people hear about cannabis, the more they talk about it, the more they read about it, the more they, you know, it's in the news and they then have conversations with their friends or their family members or whoever, their coworkers, the more that happens, the more people support legalization or think of cannabis as just another you know normal thing that that some adults choose to do and so it makes sense that you see the snowball effect of know the first states that legalize marijuana for adult use and then more states follow and then you know through initiatives and then more legislative you know states through legislatures because you're just seeing this growing conversation taking place in more places and when you look at like the states for example where there's measures on the ballot rob referred to you know we got south dakota north dakota missouri oklahoma like these are states that they're basically just living in 2012 right now you know like they're just slow when it comes to cannabis they're on a different timeline you know and they're just reaching 2012 and hopefully these laws will pass and you know that's just how it's going to be um and we'll just continue to see states and you know there are little things that'll happen that'll make things jump forward but you know, these are also states that haven't had medical marijuana laws for very long, and so they've had less discussion than, say, Colorado, which had medical marijuana discussion for several years and California and, you know, all these other states. So um, it's not so surprising, but it is very surprising, like the innovation and the, and the things the industry is doing is that's what surprises me, not necessarily the policy change, but the development of the industry, I find pretty fascinating.
2: I'd say the thing that really surprised me the most, Mason, and obviously the innovation has been really fun to watch, but it's what a disaster the industry still is from a business perspective based on over-regulation, based on uh, lack of available access to capital. I mean, you look at the biggest companies out there and you think, okay, you know, there's still this misconception around the country, especially for people that aren't involved in the industry, that everyone in the industry is, you know, printing money. That's, you know, this is just a gateway to, to you know, guaranteed fortunes. I mean, anyone that's invested in the industry or that lives in the industry on a day-to-day basis realizes that that's simply not the case. And actually getting politicians to understand that, um, you know, the Laffer curve is real and you can't overtax something to the point where, you know, you're, you're not going to eradicate an illicit market until you make a legal market more efficient. This is the thing that I find, you know, that I figured after 10 years of watching the headwinds and watching, you know, now the industry in many ways being on the brink of collapse based on uh, maturity dates coming up on long-term debt structures... That, that people would actually start saying, like, we've got to fix this. thing, so it's like I, we've got 10 years of history now to draw from. And, you know, very few states, I think, were, were as smart about how they developed their, um, their Canvas program as Colorado was. And Colorado should have been the, the bellwether for everyone that came afterwards of saying, let's take a look at it. Instead, there's this misconception, especially in the Northeast, of, well, we don't want to be the wild west of campus. We don't want to be Colorado. And every time I met with legislators, I'm like, guys, they actually have a very well thought out program that's based um, on free market capitalism and not based on, uh, you know, an oligopolistic nature of, of let's hand these licenses to the best capitalized, but the least you know, equipped to actually run these businesses. And so, you know, watching what's happened over the last couple of years, like I, I thought we were going to see an inevitable collapse happen in 2020. And then COVID gave it the new lease on life to a lot of these companies. But now we're watching, you know, the, the wheels really come off in certain markets in 2022. What do you think? Do you think think that this 1.0 experiment is doomed to fail only to like be recreated and, you know, have a a new, completely new canvas market spring back up? Or do you think that uh, enough change can happen in the near term?
1: I don't think it's necessarily doomed to fail. I think that it is definitely going to be a tricky situation. And and certainly for those folks who are in the business, I mean, you know, it's very easy for me as someone who's more on the policy and advocacy side to talk about this and, you know, as opposed to someone who's invested their entire livelihood into a, a company, which is a whole different story. And, you know, it is, it is a scary situation. I mean, I will say, you know, what's happening and the reason why I do think that ultimately, legalization is not doomed to fail and why it will move forward. We're seeing the same general situation that played out with alcohol to an extent. I mean, you know, look at alcohol laws. I mean, I grew up in Arizona. You could go to Costco and get like a three pack of Jack Daniels bottles, you know, and get a discount. Uh, I went to college in Virginia where you had to go to a state run liquor store and like there's government officials with badges selling it to you. And you can only, you know, that's because Virginia doesn't have ballot initiatives. That's because Virginia is an East coast state. It's a Dillon rule state. It's not a home rule state, uh, which is, you know, a whole other story, but like that, you know, the East coast treats alcohol very differently than the West coast. But we're, what we've seen is even in Colorado itself. I mean, we didn't allow liquor sales on Sundays until 2007. I mean, why? I mean, it was some moral bullshit from a long time ago that they finally decided to to deal with. Um, There's, community you know we're now we have three measures on our ballot this year around alcohol sales allowing delivery whether it should be available uh you know wine can be sold in grocery stores like they're still talking about it and that's going to be the case with cannabis it's going to be an issue in legislatures forever there will always be conversations there will always be competing interests you know the small businesses versus the big businesses uh the people who are just cultivating versus the people who are uh, vertically integrated there's always going to be a debate, and I don't think, you know, there's any exact right answer. It's going to be tough. Um, and then the last thing I would just just say, uh, you know, just in response, I, I, I tend to be more conservative than a lot of people would expect, you know, being the person who ran around the country saying marijuana is, you know, less harmful than alcohol and should be legal. I, you know, while I agree, cannabis is being overregulated in many ways, in stupid ways. But I also think it's being underregulated in ways that would be smarter if they if they would do more. California is a perfect example where that industry is gonna have a real tough time until they start, you know enforcing all the rules and making sure that, you know, how can these businesses survive when someone else is running the same exact business without having to follow these rules? I think that there's, you know, I've got concerns around certain high potency products, which I don't think they should be illegal, but I think more should be done just around promoting public safety. So I think the the problem, and this has always been the case with Canvas, it's not so much that, you know, there, there is overregulation, but they're overregulating in the wrong spots, you know, like there are areas that you should be concerned and, and focused on and they're not. They're focused on stupid shit, you know, um, the number of pixels in your security camera like that's absurd. Um, they and so it's, it's if they would just focus on on the things that matter, uh, I think we could actually address some of the problems that we see with 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 cannabis and things would move forward faster. But. Yeah, I think it's going to be it's a long haul, you know, and when you think about it, like 2012 is when the first states legalized marijuana, it's been 10 years. You know, when the Ken Burns documentary gets made, this is going to be like, you know, the first 30 minutes of like the six episode series, you know, like it's, it's
0: going to be a long story. And we're only just at the beginning. OK, I think that's fair. I guess the question ultimately is this right there. We're trying to take it to the public. And I feel like the the biggest problem that this industry still has is its public relations problem. And that's why I've always loved, you know, I love your book, and I and I loved going to normal and hearing all these guys talk. And when Paul got up and started talking, Paul Armentano, and I'm sitting there taking notes, I was writing down every word. I had never gone to a CLE, a continuing legal education seminar, and taken any notes. And I couldn't stop writing. I was just fascinated by what these guys were saying. And every year, though, it keeps coming around to the same thing. You know, okay, fine, the sheriff of... Uh, Whatever uh, whatever county it is out there where Aspen is, he likes to smoke marijuana. Okay, that's. But how do you take this message out to the rest of the world? And I know that's one of the things, you know, behind your book. But even getting people to read the book, you know, when I get into a a discussion with somebody about some of these issues, and I'm like, I'm going to send you a book. Like, don't bother. I don't need to read anything on marijuana. I don't need to, I'm sure it's going to say whatever it says, and I disagree with it. Well, you disagree. Why? Because you think it's okay to drink alcohol and not smoke. You think one's safer to be driving than the other. You think one is better. If your kids are going to go to college and experiment, one can kill them. One can't. I mean, I, it, it's just this, right? You go into a room and you say, how many people have watched for Madness? They all laugh, but they've all, they still all act with that mentality. And, and how does that change?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, again, I- It's really a matter of of, like, this has been a taboo subject. I mean, for a lot of people, it's not. But for a lot of people, it is. Um, You know, I can't tell you the number of people I know who work in this industry or work on legalization who's, you know, they're say like, oh, my parents know I do this, but they don't know I consume. Like your job is to, you know, make marijuana legal and to say it's okay for adults to use. But it's, you know and I'm, I'm not saying i don't like i understand completely for some people it's still yeah it's just easier to not argue with them over it i don't want them to know i'm using it they probably know but we don't talk like that's you know really that's where our country still is i mean when you think about older people in this country they were born into a society in which this drug was the devil and they grew up for anywhere from 5 10 20 30 80 years being told only that marijuana is bad. I mean, if you are, you know, a seventy-five-year-old person, if you're Bob Weir, um, now I'm sure he didn't think this way, but if you're Bob Weir, you know, for sixty years of your life, sixty-five years of your life the only things you really heard was that marijuana was bad. The only news you heard was about people getting arrested for it because it's bad. The only thing the government ever said or that they taught people was that it's bad. And of course, you start to see the medical marijuana discussion start, and we start to see change that people are, that's being challenged. And, and so it's just not surprising that we're still in the situation where so many people are still have their heads in the sand. And, you know, I've always said, and it's, it's kind of morbid, but like, the reason we're going to win and and what probably like the, the the X factor that we've got going for us is that people get old and die. I mean, it's it sucks. But I mean, like, you know, like when it comes to whether they're legislators or whether they're just voters, older people who aren't used to the idea of it being OK to use marijuana are not going to be around for a long time. And now these days, when you look at like the, the polling amongst younger people, it's just overwhelmingly supportive on this. And. You know, it's it's the same thing that we see with, you know, LGBTQ rights and, and gay marriage and, you know, a lot of these issues. Uh, it's only a matter of time. And what, what I've always viewed, like the the work I've done, is it's not a matter of like, we're going to make the change. It's that we're going to speed the change up. The change going to happen. It's just a matter of making it happen faster and making it happen in the right way, which Rob hit on is that, you know, in some way, like we're still one of the biggest problems and why some of these laws suck so much is that they are being handled as if this product is nuclear waste, you know, and if you're trying to say, let's make nuclear waste available to the few people that want to use it, the rules are going to be really restrictive. If you say, hey, this product is not that nearly as dangerous as people think it is, and you treat it that way, the rules make more sense. And, and you know, Colorado now is only starting to realize this. We just uh, had a 10th anniversary event two nights ago. Um, the governor came. Our our former governor, who's now senator, John Hickenlooper, who opposed Amendment 64 came. Our mayor of Denver, who opposed Amendment 64 came. They all talked about how they're now supportive. And one of the things that, the head of the Marijuana Enforcement Division, she was there too. And she had a great, you know, I asked during a little panel discussion, I said, one of the questions was, you know, what would you tell other states or what did you learn, you know, that you would have done differently? And she had a great answer. She said, you know, when we first started the department you know the department of revenue the marijuana enforcement division they were cops they're guys with badges and guns and they they figured that these cops were needed to like be the ones that regulate this industry and they quickly realized that these cops don't know shit about marijuana and how it should work and they slowly but surely got rid of the cops and they started having more policy people scientists like people that you would expect to be involved in the regulation of a, of a product like this and it's gotten better so hopefully We'll see that play out in all the other states at the federal level as well.
2: well I, I love the uh, the way, Mason, you, you weaved in Bob Weir's 75th birthday into this part of the conversation because, you know, one of the things I said to, to Larry you know before we came on and, and, and had you on as a guest is the last time I saw you was standing next to you and Christian during the third night of Fairly Well in Chicago, and uh, we we caught the second set together on the third night. And uh it, it's rare that we get someone that loves the Grateful Dead as much as they love cannabis policy. <laughs> so
1: have you I love show. the Grateful Dead way more than I love cannabis policy. But but yeah, let's be honest here. I mean I, I I'm really really glad that I get to do this for a living, but man, it wouldn't be nearly as exciting if there was no Grateful Dead. I couldn't agree with you more. And so for us,
2: the passion of the show, you know, Canvas is, uh, is secondary and the love of the Grateful Dead is first. And it's rare that we get to, you know, as I said, have a guest that knows both sides, but it. usually it's either someone that's, you know, very Grateful Dead centric or someone that's very cannabis centric. And they might have a little bit of overlap, like, Hey, I saw some shows, but I know you're as diehard as we are. So, you know, I think we might play another one, another uh, quick clip. The theme today was obviously Bob's birthday and some of the great birthday shows he's played in the past. And we started off with a clip, you know, early from, uh, I think from the milk and. But um, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with a lot of the shows we're doing. But uh, I don't know if you've heard 101677 from Baton Rouge, uh, which is Bob's 30th birthday. We're going to play a quick, quick little clip of the Cassidy from that night before we get back in to ask you for more questions about policy. But I'm pretty sure you're okay with us interweaving some Grateful Dead into this conversation. Absolutely. All right, let's rock it, Dan. that in perspective. When we talked about you know the Grateful Dead's drug bust on Haight Ashbury last week in the show. You know, 1977 being basically 10 years after that happened. You know, this is at a point in time where I think you know it was Bob's 30th birthday. That the idea of um, a federal legalization of cannabis under the Jimmy Carter uh, administration was still relatively um, still relatively popular. It wasn't until you know we got the Reagan years and the Len Bias years of uh, of, of you know drugs are the devil that uh, we moved in some. Some different policies, you know. I think back to like 1989, which we'll hear later, 10, 16 89 of, of of Bob, and I think about the drug bust that happened in that Brendan Byrne parking lot that night, and I think about you know that summer, you know the the first years of like camp flying in Humboldt and just you know how difficult it was and how expensive we'd got in NorCal during that period, but uh, but you know, there's still a fair amount of hope when uh, when we are turned thirty, so we we're trying to take this sort of uh, again incrementally um through the uh, the range of, of of bob's birthdays and if we started off with his 27th now we've moved to his 30th we're going to take this all the way through his 46th but uh but you know cassidy to me is is one of those songs that um I mean, if you were to ask john perry barlow what his favorite song is that he ever wrote you know there's an instantaneous answer of cassidy so uh, i don't know if you're a big fan of cassidy mason but any thoughts on that one
1: oh yeah i mean cassidy I, I, it was definitely a song you know that first the bridge like the first when they you know the the basically the moment we just heard there especially when they come out of the jam back into it it's a like an absolutely fantastic you know riff and a great just like such a great segment of the song uh in the, in the dead repertoire and you know i always i, I enjoyed it i think after Fair thee well to be honest i mean it's become such a bigger song for them they started playing it uh, you know putting it in spots where it's a bigger deal you know i don't know if it's the, the Fair thee well lyric or, or what have you it seems like it's just kind of carried more of a weight you know in a show these days but yeah it's a fantastic tune and I I will actually take the moment to say I I was very fortunate. I got to meet John Perry Barlow uh, once and it was because of cannabis policy because uh, the marijuana policy project where I, you know, previously it worked and used to support our efforts. uh, They used to hold a party at the playboy mansion uh, and John Perry Barlow was uh, part of like the VIP, you know, supporters of the marijuana policy project. And he was there and I got, you know, all these, you know, there's all these people there taking their pictures with like half naked women. And I'm like, hey old man, can I get my photo with you? And yeah, you know, like that's that's a picture I was going for, um, and I have it and I cherish it.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, that's I mean, look, a chance to meet any of these people is great, and and there's no question that how you know special uh, the dad had it, you know, having both uh, Robert Hunter lyrics and John Perry Barlow lyrics, you know, to be able to. To, to, to add to their music. But, you know, I like to focus on the fact that, you know, this is Bob Weir writing music as well. You know, he's, he's, he's such a strong songwriter. And, you know, over the years, we've talked about it too. You know, so many of us are, start off and maybe wind up being Jerry-centric more than anything else. And um, it sometimes it, it gives Bob a little bit of short shrift. But, you know, the dead wouldn't be the dead without Bob, not just because of his goofball personality and all that other stuff, but because of the musical uh skills and talents and 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 riffs and everything that he plays and filling all of jerry's holes and and just you know they're they were a machine and you know the fact that bobby sat down and cranked out all these tunes that were so musically strong is such a tribute to him as a a songwriter you know that it's important not to lose sight of that fact and this is a good time i think rob appropriately for you to bring it out so we can discuss it with everybody
2: yeah for sure um You know, again, sort of segueing back back into to policy. I mean, Mason, I love the fact you brought the marijuana policy project would do that party and. You know, again, I got to meet Barlow in a completely different setting, mostly through the String Cheese Incident, who also wrote um, you know lyrics for as well. So you know, Perry would, Barlow would come to a lot of their shows, and I get to hang out backstage with him and his daughters back when his, one of his daughters was dating Michael Kang. So it was a you know always a fun time. We're like, ah, Barlow's here, which would be which would be great. But um, but for you know, marijuana policy project, where you started off, and you know, then sort of segueing your career into Colorado and and um, and the work. Did, are you ever surprised when you think back ten years ago? And all the people that are at the marijuana mansion at the time that have gone on to have these just amazing careers in cannabis, whether it's, you know, Christian and Brian and Josh Capital and Adam Fine from VS and, you know, you starting VS strategies or Shaleen Title, you know, sort of being tangentially related what she's done in, in policy in Massachusetts and now towards social equity or Betty Aldworth and what she's done now with MAPS or, um, you, know, uh, you know, the fact that we're seeing uh, Ian Sieb that now is running Jared Polis' side of, uh, of Colorado cannabis policy or, you know, like even though not a hundred percent part of that team, but Truman Bradley now running mid, like just so many people that were like very involved in the industry back then that were like helping you develop what you were trying to get through and, you know, really supporting your efforts that now have just gone on to have this just illustrious careers in the canvas industry for, you know, nationwide.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a, a nice, big, incestuous, uh, you know, pool of, of policy nerds and lawyers and, 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 you know, really just passionate people and, and just, you know, very smart people, people who are very talented. And, you know, I I think that a big part of it is that different people bring different things to the table. I mean, I'm not, you know, I, I certainly know more about cannabis policy than your typical person, but I, I'm, you know, I've got opinions on policy, but I don't write policy. I'm not, you know, a a a lawyer. I'm I'm the non attorney spokesperson. You know, I, I I know how to talk about it. I know how to help people talk about it and, and so on. And and you know that was that was my skill set. Um, you know, Brian Vicente, for example, on the other side, you know, he he under, you know, understood the, the legal aspects and the laws around it and and getting the system set up. Christian Cederberg came to it from a business perspective. And and you know, as the laws were being created to allow for cannabis businesses, you know, he played such a huge role in in creating that and and bringing that business you know, perspective to it that Brian and I, you know, Brian was an attorney, but like his law work was, you know, defending medical marijuana patients who were getting busted or defending protesters at the DNC. You know, like it wasn't helping with, you know, big deals taking place between different companies and, you know, these, these sorts oh, of things. They, they didn't exist then. It did, exactly. It didn't exist. You have know, Jordan Wellington was, you know, a, a legislative policy nerd working for the, working for the legislature. I mean, and you had Sean McAllister
2: and you had Warren Edson and you had, you know, Tay Darnell you had a handful of other attorneys that were all sort of coming at this from, you know, most of them dealing with like, you know, criminal justice reform, where, you know, cannabis just kind of like fell into it as, as a natural progression. But when you think about those early days and the attorneys that really were instrumental in getting this through, and there's a couple others that, you know, some, some who I think did good work, some I thought were very bombastic. So I won't necessarily mention their names, but, um, but there, there was certainly a, a real push where it was a small enough state and it was a small enough group and it was concentrated really around the front range where, like, shit got done. It was such a, I mean, like, I, I look back so fondly on that period from 2007 to 2012 in Colorado of just like how amazing it was of like, wow, we're actually getting this shit done. You know, like, it was such a fun time to be there.
1: It's because everyone had the same shared interest, you know, everyone wanted to end cannabis prohibition. And now the interest in Colorado is, is on, you know, there are still shared interests around some aspects of cannabis policy. um, But now there's just such a diversity of interests, you know, like I was saying before, you know, whether it's the size of your business, the type of business, uh, you know, the type, the way in which you grow. I mean, people have different uh, things they're fighting for now. Whereas back then we were all fighting for the same thing. And, you know, it's, just the natural kind of progression i suppose but um yeah it it is it it was an interesting time and you know i i at our event a couple nights ago that we were just i was just referring to the 10th anniversary you know i one of the things i said uh uh was that people always ask like well you know you you if people praised me or said like oh you're you're you know how did you do this and i would I, i would always say i was in the right place at the right time uh but you know really upon reflecting on it more it wasn't just the right place at the right time it was the right people it was you know like that i met steve fox that steve you know steve fox was critical i mean could i was by all means the top of the chain with regards to who had the most impact and i miss him so much yeah mm-hmm. and so like you know between steve and then brian uh you know uh like it's like these people were in the right place at the right time. It wasn't just the right place, at the right time. It was the right place, right time, right people and working towards a shared goal. And I, I'm sure that's how it feels in some of these other States now uh, where they're you know, living, live in the 2012 days, but um, yeah, things, you know, it's, it's kind of like the natural order of uh, getting older and becoming, you know, becoming jaded and, and, and having to address, you know, specific interests over the collective. Well, that's a, a really nice segue
2: to our next uh, Grateful Dead clip because um, in 2011, if, if I were to think about, you know, kind of what my belief was and, you know, how we were thinking about things uh, at that time, I, I would certainly say that we were, you know, moving towards a goal and, and the race is on. So, uh, yeah, so let's, let's hear a quick little clip of that one, Dan, from Bob's 34th birthday. And the race is on, That's ten sixteen eighty one from uh, the Milkweg, which is famous because uh, the, the Grateful Dead weren't meant to play that show. They ended up borrowing instruments and playing uh, playing that night as of any they played before, and they decided to go back and give it another shot when they had a show that was canceled. But um, you know, a, a, any thoughts on that? Obviously, you know, that was during the period where you know, uh, Reckoning and Deadset were being put out, and they were playing the acoustic sets and then playing the electric sets. That was a great one because uh, you could hear uh, Brent on, on electric piano, but everyone else was playing acoustic. But uh, what, what are your thoughts on that one, Larry?
0: Well, the Milkweg show is a great show because I believe that was one of the few times, if not the only time, the Dead played Hully Gully, um, and uh, uh, we always liked it for that reason. And I had a I have a buddy who who was at that show. He was uh, spending his uh, semester abroad and heard about it. And he and his friend made their way up there and uh, uh, they enjoyed it. And I've heard all the stories about it. So, look, it's a great show. It's a, and you know these were the songs that they were playing at the time. And you know I I kind of missed some of these songs. The Race Is On is a fun song. It's you know like the Monkey and the Engineer. It's you know, it's kind of like a little interlude in the middle of the set and, you know, Bobby having a good time with it. And, you know, it's not unlike some of the songs we were listening to from that show in The Matrix last time, uh, where they were, you know, reaching out and, you know, covering, you know, not really what we would consider traditional rock and roll songs. And, you know, we've talked about their uh, their interest in country and bluegrass and uh, the, the sounds that all kind of, you know, really came of age with American Beauty and Working Man's Dead. And, you it's also a fun story, you know, and and he sings it mostly clear enough that you can kind of follow the story and you know understand what the hell he's talking about. Any favorites yours, Mason, from that period?
1: Oh, you know, I, I, yeah, that's a the, you know when I think of the races on, I always think of those more early seventies, you know, things. It's it's cool to hear Brent sing it or to play it, and and I, you know, I I definitely Brent grew on me quite a bit, you know, like I when I first got into the Dead, I mean, it was like I think a lot of people, I mean, for me, it was like late sixties was what got me into the dead, but then it was like, you know, you get into that 77 shit and all that. And it's like, you know, and, and I thought the Brent stuff sounded like, Oh, it's like eighties music or, you know, early nineties. Um, but now it's some of my favorite and I'm really hoping, you know, this new, you know, this, this upcoming lap, you know, final dead and company tour, I'm really hoping that they possibly dig in for some of those, those tracks that they, they never really have played at all, especially the Brent stuff, which I've just always, you know, I, like, I want to hear Easy to Love You. Like, I want to hear Tons of Steel. Like, I, it would just be so cool to to hear some of these songs. And if it's going to be, uh, you know, like, I want to hear O'Teal sing, I will take you home. Like, that will be amazing. Um, but, you know, I, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. I mean, I'm, you know, like all things with Dead and Company and, you know, Bob's new outfit. It's like it's going to be good. I'll deal, you know, whatever it is, I'm sure it'll be great, but uh, I am really hoping that because this is being billed as their final tour that maybe they do some, some unexpected stuff like that.
0: You would hope that would really be nice. And, you know, I think Bobby's reaching a point where he kind of lives up to that sometimes. Um, You know, some of the songs are probably a little more musically challenging him for challenging for him these days, but, you know, I, I, you know, they, they tend to work, you know, one or two interesting songs into their sets each year and I love hearing the song. It's it's great to hear it played live, and you know the you know the comments we always kind of come back to on that stuff is, you know it's amazing after Jerry died, all of a sudden all of these songs came back, and every iteration of the Dead since that time has played, early Dead, late Dead, middle Dead, you know, um, and uh, it's wonderful to hear that. But I, I like your idea. You know, I I look when I started seeing shows, Brent was the guy, so that's the guy who, you know, was the keyboard player, and we were all like, oh boy, wouldn't it have been nice to see Keith, but Brent was great. You know, he dived right in and started breaking out great tunes and, you know, really making Jerry shine. And it was wonderful right up until he died, you know.
1: This last year, you know, I mean, the, one of the songs that they started playing, uh, and they played it here in Boulder. I'm, I'm in Colorado. Uh, you know, Foolish Heart. That was, a, that was a great, you know, later era uh, song that, you know, just kind of randomly showed up this past year. And so that's that's kind of, you know, what, I'm, what I think of when I'm like, okay, if they're willing to... They're still willing to learn some new material, you know, bring back some old material for, you know, John Mayer learning new material. But um that would be really exciting.
2: I, I can't believe it's taken them that long to play Foolish Hard. I mean, of all the songs, like from like, the late 80s, early 90s, that I think, you know, like sort of gets passed over when people think about that era. I mean, everyone talks about so many roads. Everyone talks about like Days Between. But but Foolish to me, like in that late 80s, like I, mean, I thought, you know, that and Standing were the two songs that, that came out that were just – just such fire new tunes like from like 86 to like 1990 that that came out and foolish has kind of gotten passed over so it's really nice to see it back in the lineup
1: yeah it's weird like whatever the, the you know you see on the set list when like when they did just you know debut that this last year you see that they played it and it's like you know oh shit like that was the first time they played this like i it's kind of like you know i didn't even think about it didn't even realize that they you know have now been playing for what five years six years and and uh that was the first time so
0: but that's kind of what's nice about all of it, right, is that all of these tunes, we know them all so well, and they're all so familiar that when they finally break the tune out, even though the, you haven't heard it for a while, you feel like you've heard it. It's, it's hard to believe that, you know, we haven't heard this tune live in well, real, probably a really long time. And it's, uh, you know, Days Between is a song that is, is always difficult for me because I, when Jerry was singing it and, and really kind of putting it together, I think he was already kind of at a point where he was not quite as musically sharp and it didn't always come out sounding as crisp and wonderful as you would like. There's some great cuts of it, and going back and listening to it, it's it really is a beautiful song. And I appreciate Bob's love of the tune and playing it, too. The, but sometimes I would be just as happy if he didn't, you know? And it, I root
1: for it. I root for it. I got a lot of friends who hate on it and think it's just, like, too slow and boring. I just – and you know what? You know where I turned is – it was it was uh, Fairly Well. I mean, the days between it, Fairly Well, where it was just like – Holy shit, like this is just you know so powerful. and now' I'm, I'm pulling for it. I want to hear it and uh, it's interesting how songs kind of like the, you know just kind of grow on you like that. It's so strange to me because
2: it's one of those songs that if you talk to people that are like closely involved in like the Grateful Dead family themselves. Like, that's a song they all love. And I think you're right. For audience members, there's a lot of people that, that thought it's like, you know, there's a, a certain choppiness to it. You know, they love the alliteration. They love, like, sort of the haunting feel of it. But it wasn't an easy song to, like, to fall in love with the way, like, uh, Standing on the Moon or So Many Roads was, where it's was much more melodic and had, like, you know, sort of, like, the the, the huge anth- anthemic um, ending, the way, like, Estella Blue does as well. Like, Days Between was just a series of verses that, you know, got sort of darker and deeper uh, with every verse in, until it almost, you know, like... It, 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 I mean, it gets dark when you know the, the on a mountaintop, you know, uh, portion of it.
1: The well, they go through the seasons, you know, and then you know, it's like, I mean, and you, the, when you think about it, yeah, shit gets dark, yeah. <laughs> so, it's, uh, and, you know,
2: the, 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 the beginning part, like blossoming love, you know, like you know, as soft as softest velveteen, like that part of it is like is nice and happy, but as you get towards the end, uh, especially with Garcia's guitar work, it would, uh, it, it, it would, it would get heavy.
0: It did. So here, let me ask you this question though, Mason, because uh, my buddies and I will joke about days between sometimes, but here's the other one we like to just throw out to people generally speaking. What are your thoughts on Liberty?
1: So I, I, it's funny because I, I, I like Liberty. Uh, I have a, like a good friend. uh, Interestingly enough, he was a a counselor at my high school. He wasn't even my counselor, but he was a better high school counselor than I think I could ever imagine because, you know, someone, I remember a friend came in and was like, oh, you got to meet this new a counselor, you know, he's so great. He's got a picture of Jerry in his office. And you know, I like went and met him. We started tape you know trading tapes and then Fast forward to like when I was in college, I was like going to New Year's with him, like and his wife. Um, and but like you know, he would dog on Liberty a bit because he, you know, he went to a, a ton of shows in the in the early 90s and then you know, and was like, Yeah, they're just playing it too often and this and that. But like for me, you know, coming into this and uh it was interestingly enough, uh, the encore for the one Jerry show I saw, and maybe maybe it just stuck with me. I don't know. But it was really the So Many Roads box set which uh, someone, uh, you know, one of my, my parents' friends gave me for a college graduation gift, and, it, and it's got that version on there. I just like the mess. I like the lyrics, you know, there. I think that's fun, you know. So I'm, I'm open to it, especially, you know, bring it on when it's, it's Fourth of July shows, you know, we get out of here in Boulder. Hell yeah, I'm all for it. So
2: my, my thoughts on it are, like, look, if someone were to say, pick an encore, would that be my encore choice? Definitely not. Like, 100% that's correct. But, but, but if I were to think about, like, what lyrics actually, like um, – signify who Garcia was as a person from like that libertarian don't tell me what to do like you know perspective you know in the sort of same way that U.S. Blues is as well of just you know kind of like let let me do my thing and you know stay out of my life and I'll stay out of yours like if you read everything about Garcia Liberty I think was tailor-made
1: for his personality if that makes sense absolutely yeah like if I were a bet, I'd stand made it's one of my favorite Grateful Dead lyrics
0: yeah that's true that's true I don't know I, I, I overall I think it's a decent tune but I think that for me the key is you're at that moment with the encore and you're really hoping for take your pick of songs and that's the one that pops up and and the biggest problem is we just don't have a history with it like we do with the other songs that really give you that warm fuzzy feeling you know it, it came in at the end
1: so ironically I mean I will say like the what the song for me that I kind of have that love hate you know i I really don't want it as an encore but you do get it so much is u.s blues i mean obviously you know it's a great great song like i you know fare thee well it was awesome you know like but it's just uh it was so predictable though july
2: 4th you know they're in with a uh, with, 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 with Saturday night going right into US blues you know it's the,
1: the, it's of course they are but I you know us blues I could I, I mean I don't want to say I, I'm glad it's around but I can also live without
2: I, I like it at the end of summer tour where you can actually say summer's come you know this is, this is coming gone my oh my other than that early part of the summer I'd say you know like leave, leave it alone I definitely didn't see it as the song I wanted to hear like I was always one of those people I would rather hear a really fast rocking tune to end the second set and then, you know, put us back down with a broke down or a knock in
1: or, you know, so. Totally. Same with one more Saturday night. Second set closer. Beautiful. Like for like show opener, beautiful. But like as a standalone encore. Meh.
0: But I, I love the U.S. blues that leads from the animation into the live action in the Grateful Dead movie. That's a wonderful U.S. Mm-hmm. blues, and they're just cranking it. They got there, sure, that. but that's that's not an encore. <laughs> you know,
2: like I'll, I'll watch it. Doesn't mean I want to go to a show and, and, and wind my night up with it.
0: I hear you. I hear you. I, I was. I, I. For me, it always works just because I love the summertime lyrics, and I love Jerry and his my 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 oh my oh my oh my. It's like yep, okay. But yeah, no, that, that's that's a good point, though. You know, and everybody does have their tastes, and that's the beauty of the Deadheads, right? That you know, and, and you could like you know, kind of like not really. Get into a song for years and then all of a sudden boom it just you hear it on a certain way you hear it on a certain night somebody plays it at the right time and all of a sudden it really resonates with you and you're like oh yeah I, you know I, I really do like this so it's a wonderful thing and, and you know look i know you're a big uh fish fan and a big panic fan and uh you know there's lots going on with both of those bands right now trey's touring he's going to be through here in chicago over halloween um, but I'm jealous because uh, he's going to be on the East Coast and my son's going to get to catch one or two of those shows when he plays with Goose.
1: I'm going to one. I'm going to Fairfax.
0: Oh, excellent. Which,
1: I'm only, I am almost—I mean, fingers crossed, but Billy Strings, you know, I was going to D.C. I was on my way to Ohio. I'm using finger quotes. On my way to Ohio for Thanksgiving. I'm stopping in D.C., which is not on the way at all, um, for two nights at Billy Strings, and then they announced the Trey Goose shows and Billy Strings in Richmond the night before and then D.C. the night after night off during the tray, the tray goose show in Fairfax, which is right there. I'm just really, you know, Handy, handicap it. It, it. There's a good chance. It's a good chance. And I'm really excited for it.
0: That's excellent. Oh, that's going to be great. Yeah. I, w- I would love to see that combination. We were talking a little about goose right before we started and, you know whether they're going to be ultimately the next big jam band or not who knows but they're certainly a lot of fun right now and it seems that a lot of people in the jam band world like playing with them and to me that's you know that's always a good sign right when you know the jam banders want to play with your band that's wow okay you can yeah,
1: one of the guitarists is playing with uh Phil at the Cap you know this month which i th- i thought was really interesting
0: and then, oh and that that was the one i i sent a, uh, rob sent around a uh, a really funny meme showing him playing a guitar solo but it was really Harry Hood overlaid you know and and waiting to get comments back from people you know over what's his name Rick is that the guy's name the guitar player
1: Brit, yeah yeah
2: yeah which by the way the same guy just put out another video of uh, of, of King Gizzard but this time it's overlaid with um I, I can't remember which band they put it over but it's like the same guy's just that like, keeps keeps messing with people like you know check out these likes that obviously oh he sings it this time with Guns N Roses. So uh, it's pretty funny, but just keeps messing with people, and and still keeps getting them online. Where people are like, "Well, that sounds just like Slash." Like, yeah, because it
0: is. (laughs) (laughs) But all those bands are great to have around, you know. And and for me, you know, certainly now at this stage with the dead long gone and kids finally up and out of the house and going to see their own shows, and I have a chance to go see some more, I it's it's kind of you know reinvigorating to know that. And and we know, we've also talked about. I mean, Fish has now played as long as the Dead played. You know, they've been out there. I, I guess you have to factor in their little hiatuses there, but even still, you know they're they're pretty damn close to it, and they don't look like they're slowing down anytime soon. And panic,
1: no, they're killing it. Uh, it's been this this last this last few years, uh, I think have been really wonderful. So,
2: so Mason, real quick question: is you and I are like two of the few people out there that are both big fish fans and big panic fans? Yeah, um, you know it's, it's it's rare that you get people that like both. If if they're both playing the same night, you know in Colorado. Oh
1: no. Who,
0: who are you picking? Uh, Venue. Venue matters. Venue you can, matters. You, you,
1: you can, yeah, you could do like the Panic Red Rocks, Dick's Fish. Like that would be probably like the, man, that's really tough. I'd have to go to Fish. I mean, uh, you know, the whole thing's a math equation though. Because it's like when people will say, who do you like better, Fish or Panic? It's like, who did I see most recently? Yeah. Who am I about to see and looking forward to? Uh, you know, there's like so many things that go to it. But I, I've got a, my general hierarchy is, you know, dead. Dead fish and panic right there nipping at their heels you know like i got into music uh, i met a, a taper who like really you know was a huge you know, this was in 1998, like before every show was just easily available, and and I I, I because of him I got into taping. I, I taped shows in high school and, and early in college uh, until I got really into partying and was like I don't have time to tape anymore. But but uh, you know he was a Panic guy. I, I had not really listened to Panic uh, at all uh, much, and uh, this dude who you know I met through going to like Dead related shit. He he I got a mini disc player so I could start taping. And he moved up to a dat and uh he gave me all his medis and this dude was a panic guy so i had like full tours of panic like 99 panic so it was just like
2: back when it was all like coconuts and porch song and ain't life grand and you know
1: oh man going out west my first first song i heard oh so good yeah so I love them both. I'm excited for Milwaukee. I've never seen them in Milwaukee, so looking forward to that. Well, that's kind of like their
0: dicks, almost. Yeah,
1: that, that's what I keep hearing. You know, I've got friends who who have gone, and it's just such a small venue, you know. Uh, and I, I, it's definitely will be the smallest venue I've ever seen them at. So,
0: well, if you come up with any extra tickets, I'm only about an hour and a half south, man. I'd <laughs> cruise right know. up, like within ten minutes. I'm in my car driving. Yeah,
1: I will so, let you know. So, so here's the important
2: question uh when are we gonna have you back man and, and when are we gonna when are we gonna get the whole vs strategies team on one show together where you and jordan and mark all come on yeah, together you know those, a
1: profound fish debate well we could
2: we could certainly like you know like as far as jam band music your team sort of the vs strategies team is as jam band inclined as any uh group i know of out there uh so and we'd love having you guys on as guests
1: I'm, yeah i'm very fortunate that jordan is my business partner and also my show going partner in in most ways other than generally fish although he he went to one this year at dicks uh which he enjoyed but for some reason he's still just not a huge fan uh but i i'll keep working on him but uh yeah no it's wonderful it's so great to be able to you know and other people that we work with who you know there's there is that you know streak of folks who who go to a lot of shows and it's great will you be at MJ Biz? i will not be at mjbiz um you know these days yeah i used to go to all the conferences I just can't do it anymore. I don't know, so I will not be there. But I, I, you know, I know a lot of folks going. It's gonna be, I'm sure, a great event. But yeah, I'm 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 gonna go to the Bob shows here, and uh, you know, at the Mission, and, and think are right around there. When is when is uh, MJ Biz early
0: November? Yeah, right? November fifteenth or something May, that May, week. Mason,
2: he'll, he'll be on his way to Ohio. Okay.
1: Oh well, that's when. I, yeah, so that's when those Goose Billy Strings trade shows are.
0: Well. Priorities, baby, priorities. Uh, yeah, no, totally. Uh, we had the,
1: the no, like yesterday. Uh, the Sunday Cedarburg. They, we had all these people, like the whole team. You know, people from all the offices in town because we had this 10th anniversary of Amendment 64. And there's a whole team like lunch where everyone's kind of presenting and and updating people on what they're working on and whatnot. And you know, I, I don't. I, I work with the Sunday Cedarburg, but I'm not an employee, so I kind of exercise my the Liberty to, to not necessarily follow all the rules that everyone else has to. So, you know, everyone's listening there and I'm on my laptop, you know, and with a little dude walking on the, you know, live nation, like, you know, to buy dead company tickets, like sitting there and uh, a gal who goes to shows with us, who, who also works at the city she took a photo uh, over my shoulder and, you know, of like me with like a speaker that I'm totally ignoring and, you know, like buying tickets in the middle of this uh, work thing. And, you know, she, captioned it priorities
0: that's what it is and speaking of Vincente cederberg we should give a special shout out to mark ross uh who uh, rob and i got to visit with recently at bazinga and then was kind enough to connect you and i uh so we could we could have this so thank you to mark uh, appreciate the help with that and um yeah, this has been great, Mason. It's just wonderful to have. Uh... Uh, it's awesome. I could do this all day. Oh, good. Well, then you'll be hearing from us again. Yeah,
1: you want to you know when we'll do this again? Let me know. I'm, I'm in. Like, I can do, do this shit every week. Like, this is great.
0: Beautiful. Okay. Well, we like that. Rob, you going to take us home?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, thank you to Mason Tabert for coming on and for everything you've done for our industry and everything. Again, it's, it, I try not to get too excited when we've got guests, you know, but when there's people I truly respect in the industry, it's always fun for me to to get a chance to to interview and and say thanks for uh, for everything you've done. You know, as always, thank you to our producer Dan Hemiston, and thanks to Larry Michigan to end this. You know, I'll say that we were going through Bob's favorite you know birthday years. For me, the the greatest birthday show that we ever played was ten sixteen eighty nine of Brendan Byrne Arena from uh, from New Jersey. Uh, that was right after the Hampton show where they brought you know Dark Star back. Uh, this show in particular was was exceptional. It was a Monday night. No one was expecting too much out of it. Uh, they busted Helps at Franklin's. They bust, uh, excuse me Helps at Frank's was, uh, two nights earlier on the fourteenth. And then the 16th came out of the second set with like a dark star playing, Uncle John's playing uh, drum space back in the dark star, if I remember correctly. It, it was an absolutely fire show from top to bottom. But the end of the show was, was the part that I absolutely you know loved the most. And that was the Bid You goodnight encore. And so while every other song we've played tonight to celebrate Bob's birthday has been a Bobby tune, this one's just too good to ignore. And it's a great way to end any show is to uh, play a little bit of the Bid you. So, with that, thank you to all our listeners out there. And Rob Hunt from Southern California signing off. And uh, we bid you good night. Thanks a lot. Lay down, my dear brothers.
0: Lay down and take your
2: rest. I oh, want you lay your head upon your Savior's breast. I love you, Oh, but Jesus loves you the best. And yeah, I bid you good night. Good night, good night, and I bid you good night, good night, good night, night. and I I bid you good 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 night, good night, good
0: good night. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out
1: more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, host of Casually Baked, the podcast. If you're curious to explore the highly responsible
2: side of cannabis, farming, and legalization, I'm here to help lighten the stigma and build your of confidence. Download episodes now of Casually Baked, the podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts and journey with me through the evolving cannabis culture and discover how and why people like you are
1: adding cannabis to their wellness toolkit. It's time to get casually baked.